Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, as we always do, I want to give a formal introduction to uh, my friend, uh, my fellow DEI champion and advocate, um, and she is certainly a friend of this podcast. She has um, been in attendance on multiple occasions, but today she's actually going to be up front and center, and I look forward to being in conversation with her, uh, Rachelle Carrier. And Rachelle is a DEI consultant who channels cultural change through her voice in the global community. Rachelle's passions center around collaborating while amplifying impact through sharing knowledge, resources, and creating an inclusive culture for the thriving diverse community at large. Additionally, she utilizes the invaluable voice that women of diverse backgrounds have to empower themselves and others. She's relentless in her pursuits. She has written two eBooks and is writing two along with four other children's books for young girls of color. This journey has brought her to create a podcast called Diversity Connects Us, featuring women and men of color. I've had the pleasure of being on Rachelle's podcast and really appreciate her extending her platform to me. Um, and not only does this podcast um, is called Diversity Connects Us and Feature Women and Men of Color, but also while navigating race and gender in the workplace, that's an additional focal point of her podcast. The topics range from tokenism, microaggression, colorism, sexism, gender and race, and mental health. In addition, she is a fierce researcher, a reader of all books, um, yogi, and community partnership builder. So in your own way, broadcast community, please help me to welcome my friend and our guest co-host for today, Rachelle Carrier, and I'm actually going to spotlight her so that I can uh, make sure that we are in really good communication with our guest host for today. So Rachelle, I just want to say a few words before I give you an opportunity to greet this audience. You and I were talking at the start of the hour and um, I thank you for um, continuing to maintain this commitment. And I said to you that I was anticipating and would have not at all thought a second about it if you were to reach out to say, I'm not feeling it this week, sis, you know. Um, I know that you have not spoken publicly about all that's been happening because you're still processing and my commitment to you and I want to share it broadly with this community as well is that um, I don't I don't want us to be scripted today I want us to feel the freedom and the agency to just hold space and time as we feel the need to do so. Um, while we do have questions, we may or may not get to them. And if not, that's totally fine. We'll look forward to inviting you back. But you and I both felt this tug of just, just being and um, allowing this community to not be inhibited by you know, having to put on a facade or a mask, how we're feeling, how we're processing. And so I just want to amplify that um, as I invite you to just lean in and greet this audience in whatever way that feels appropriate for you. And then we'll just, we'll just talk. We'll just talk and process together, my friend. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's always a pleasure to, 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 to hear you and have, <clears throat> you know, this extra support that we, we definitely all, definitely all, all need during this, during this time. And as you were going through my bio, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> Above from being overwhelmed from everything else, I didn't realize that there was so much that I had done that I don't give myself accolades for, but I wanna say thank you so much for, for that introduction and, and for, you know, for, for being able to lean in to this process. I have to say it's been, I can't even find the words. Mm. I'm so sorry. No, do not be sorry. Do not be sorry at all, Rachel. I want you to know that there's so many words that have appeared into the chat. So what you're feeling, you are not alone. You are, you're not alone. I know for certain that this community and all of us that care deeply about this work, we have, we've had our moments. And um, again, you have decided not to publicly talk about this. And um, 
you know, today will be the first time. And so as much time as you need, right. Um, we're here standing in solidarity with you. We are here feeling the grief along with so many others. Um, it's just, it is hard. And I don't want to minimize that for anyone in this community. So yeah, people are saying we're here with you. We're here with you and for you. So, right. you know, it's interesting. I didn't even realize that and I have to go back because I know it was the anniversary, the two year anniversary of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And when he, <clears throat> when he was murdered, I think <clears throat> it brought a level of emotional intelligence within me. I had to figure out what it was that I was feeling and I had to go through a process. And my initial process was anger. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, I stay away from social media. I don't read what's going on. And I tend to try to understand my process first before I even can converse and have, you know, a respectful conversation with anybody in my space. And I remember something pivotal that, that, that happened. I have a lot of good friends back home in, in Montreal, which is where I lived for, for 35 years, that were calling me during that time. And they were not Black. So they, they were my white, my white, very good friends. And they were reaching out with apologies. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Is there anything that I did that made you feel that you were microaggressed or, or, you know, or made felt like the other? They came to the forefront and opened up this conversation, which I honestly did not expect, but they felt compelled to start the conversation. And in feeling that, in filling the space for them, we allowed that conversation to begin and it bridged a lot of the gaps. And then, you know, they were able to Im implement policies within their workplace to create a space. I wouldn't call it an ERG because it really wasn't an ERG. It was a space to have everybody of minority to come every day on the hour to be able to discuss the feelings that they were feeling in respect to George Floyd. Mm. And I didn't have that space. And then shortly before that, I was called the N-word by many students throughout the year as, you know, because I was also, I was also an educator. So I, there was a lot of things I hadn't processed. And then through that process, I realized now there was, you know, sadness and despair. And then within the sadness and despair, I thought, is this the space that I want to stay in? Or is this a space that I can come out of and do something worthy to help the community? But again, it was a process. I had to stay within that space of sadness and crying and despair. And, and then I had to process everything else that had gone on in the last 35 years that I had lived in Montreal. So that process for me took a lot. And as you know, you know, there were, there's a lot of compassion also as DEI practitioners. So I was dealing with my own way of processing all these racial injustices. And then I was also compassionate and feeling what was going on around me and with, you know, with people in our, in our community. So I think now that, you know, all of this has happened, again, I'm, I'm not a, a news buff but I did see some information come up in my newsfeed. And it's the only reason how I knew of these last two shootings. And then the heaviness, like you said, set in. And then once I realized I was dealing with like this, this heaviness, I thought I can't post anything on social media because it's not a place where I want to deal with my emotions yet. And then sure enough, we got a call from our, my, my daughter's school, who's only seven. And they said they were taking a moment of silence at 10. And her dad and I had decided not to have a conversation with her. Mm. So that was this morning. And when I saw the email, I figured, is this the climate that we're live, actually living in where I have to have this discussion with my seven-year-old daughter? And it's, it's something else that I'm processing. Um, no, that's real. Thank you for your realness. Thank you for your vulnerability and your realness. Um, 
so when the news of the shooting at Robb Elementary took place, I was, I was traveling that day. I was in a session all day long and it was by the way of a beautiful session. I was surrounded by all of these incredibly inspiring and magnificent minority business leaders. And so it was a beautiful day. And then once I got back home, because I was not at all tuned to the news, um, I turn on the news, flip through social media and it's everywhere. And I immediately felt deflated. So I felt robbed of um, even the, the great high that I was on by being able to experience what I felt like was progress, you know, just hearing all these wonderful stories. And I, I felt, I felt it was, it was devastation. It was um, unconscionable. It was sad. Um, and one of the things that you and I, Rachel, talked about is as practitioners in this space, you know, some will sit back and they'll say, well, you chose this work. And for some of us, the work chose us. So we couldn't hide or run from it, right? But either way, we're in this space. So we make that conscious decision. And I get that by being in this space, there is a certain level of tolerance that people will presume that we have and a certain level of resilience that we have as we are navigating organizations through how to properly navigate these types of situations to stand in support of their colleagues who are triggered and dealing with a lot of emotions. But it does not take away the, the human aspect of who we are as practitioners too. And the fact that so many practitioners in this space are, are in this space because they're drawn to the work because of maybe their own intersecting identities where they've had to experience oppression or discrimination or micro inequities um, is just as triggering for us as well. And I don't necessarily think that sometimes that is talked about enough and it's held in a regard of, of where, um, you know, the, the support is, is provided and the understanding is provided. I saw a post where someone had shared that she was scheduled to facilitate a session this week and she was well prepared for it. I wish I could remember who it was because it's someone that I believe is connected to this broadcast community. But she said that her client had counseled on her the day of, and it was because they had the wherewithal to say, and this was not even an organization that was directly in the community or even in the state of Texas, but they realized that the heaviness of this week with the shooting, and then of course, you know, the anniversary of George Floyd's murder, this session, which was intended to be a session to help deepen people's, people's knowledge and understanding of broader DEIB topics, no, we want to give that time to people. Um, and she said that it, it created this great sense of pride and appreciation for that organization as a client partner, you know, because how in which they also articulated it to her, the cancellation is we want you to also be able to have the time to process. And I, I, I know that I have not necessarily experienced that, but I thought to myself, um, this is an organization that I don't know anything else about them, but this is an organization that in that moment, they understood the assignment. And it gave me at least a glimpse of hope when I felt like there was so much that I can point to that did not feel hopeful. <laughs> but it's those small moments that we I feel like we're gonna have to gravitate to, to just keep us afloat, keep us um, aware that the work can't stop. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people comment on thoughts and prayers, we're tired of that. Yeah, I mean, as someone who is a strong believer, prayers, I will never get tired of it, but I understand the sentiments of we need action and we need people in power to be much more thoughtful, to move towards action because we can't stop this, we can. And so it's been hard on so many levels. I'll pause here and just let you jump back into the conversation in whatever way that you want to, to contribute to the dialogue. Right, I think it's, um it's imperative that we do move forward to action. Like you said, you know, I'm, I'm observing like, like you are, and I'm, I'm not posting as much, but I'm definitely observing. And it, there are a lot of thoughts and prayers and, you know, um, unity symbols. And the way I see it, it's, it's not enough. 
-hmm. And I think it's definitely not enough. You know, policies need to be changed. Legislation needs to be changed. Um, there needs to be action at, at the top level. And that's what we talk about when we talk about DEI. You know, DEI has to be top level down. And that's, that's where the changes can, can really begin because, you know, the, the fact that, again, I go back to the shooting, we, we want safe spaces for, for, for our children. And, you know, when it happened, I have to say a lot of my friends didn't send their kids to school. Right. They, 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 were, they were afraid, they were uncomfortable. They, they thought they were gonna have one last moment right with 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 their children and i don't think it's 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 a way we we want to live we, we can't live in 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 fear all, all the time because it's it's not a comfortable place to be in and as those prayers like you said you know i pray as well i pray i do affirmations and it helps on the day to day but when it's when it's an issue that's that's bigger than us, then you know there has to be decisions that have to be made in order for us to be safe in navigating these 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 spaces. And I don't believe that it's it's not it's it's definitely possible. You know, wouldn't you agree? I think it's possible to be able to to you know, to, to put our heads together and to be able to understand the root of the problem, because now it is, it's a Band-Aid. It's a, yeah. it's a Band-Aid. They're masking the problem. They know the real root of the problem. And, you know, bef before, I, before moving here to, to the U.S., I moved here in 2005. So I was in Montreal before. And I didn't realize how... And, this is probably for another show, but I didn't realize how, how can I say this? How the gun laws are so lax. And it, it, was, it was something that I was always uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. And to be able to try to understand where it comes from and why there are no, there are no, there are, there, the, the, the laws are not tightened to be able to keep us safe because now all the schools are just beefing up in security. Right. I know my, my daughter's school, you know, they, that in that same email, they said they're looking into security. They're looking into police officers guarding the school and they're looking into more security cameras. But that creates a level of discomfort among children as well, right? Realizing that they have to go now through security checkpoints before they even go to school, right? Before they even go to school. So there's a camera now at the bus stop. There's a camera now at the stop sign. There's a camera when you come into the school. And then, you know, we have to take our mask off so they could see our face so they can identify <laughs> So they can identify us. Then we have to show our license and then we have to sign documents to see who can pick up the child, who can drop off. You know, there's, there's, it's not, it, it's definitely not a space that I'm comfortable navigating in above, you know, all the other things that, you know, all the other things that we, we come across. So I think in communicating our traumatic events, you know, remaining silent is definitely, you know, something that's impacted the, the community. We can't remain, we can't remain silent. And we have to, like you do, you know, use our voice in ways to channel that energy so we can make a greater impact. Mm -hmm. So what, from your perspective, Rachelle, do you believe organizational leaders should be leaning into at this moment to provide the support and the space that um, colleagues are, are needing as, as they're holding so much um, that's creating lots of stressors that are really, you know, potentially almost with certainty impacting the way in which they're showing up to the workplace. In regards to this moment, is, yeah, is what this you're moment. referring to, yeah. this moment. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we can talk about emotional intelligence. And I think emotional intelligence is really a good, it's an, it's an essential aspect of good leadership because you're able to critically analyze or analyze your own emotions and recognize and deal with them so that you're able to deal with others, other emotions or you know, every, everybody else's emotion. So I think it's really imperative for the organizations to be able to understand that, like you said, we have to lean into the space irrespective of how uncomfortable it might be and that people will be feeling triggered at work. You know, we were talking briefly backstage and I, and I read that article that you wrote as well. Um, you know, people need to have that space to just to be able to, to process because being at work is triggering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Being at work is, is really triggering. And I think in order for us to really be empathetic and to understand where the other person is coming from will release a lot of the pressures in what everyone is feeling. Yeah. No, you just referenced an article and my, my colleague Anna was kind enough to place it into the chat, but it's a, it's an article for the benefit of this broader community that I wrote last year, April of 2021. Um, around the topic of identifying signs whereby your employees could be triggered and what to do to help provide that support. And so that is into the chat if, if you find it, anyone in this community of value. But, um, you know, you said something a moment ago and it was the word acknowledgement, you know? I think that what people are failing to realize, some people are failing to realize is that um, to your point, if they're silent, it's, it causes people to perceive that they are unaware, they weren't paying attention, they have no emotional intelligence. And what is that doing for colleagues within an organization? What, is, what, is, what kind of message is that sending to colleagues in an organization when this is not something that's even addressed? Um, so what, what would you say to that, Rachel? You know, as... as... I think it's really important, like you said, it's, it's to acknowledge that something tragic happened or many tragedies have been happening. And I think people will also be more loyal. I talk about this in the book. I think people will be more loyal and, and show up and lean into work when they are validated and they're feeling acknowledged to be able to bring their whole selves to work because part of these events chip away at who we are because we don't have the space to process the information if we're continuously having to show up at work, mm -hmm. right? So when you know, organizations understand that you know, this, is, this is something that we're all going through, Right. not just us as minorities, that everybody is going through this. You know, a moment of, of, of rest or respite, I think is really, really important so that they can process, process that emotion. A lot of people I know, I still have friends who are in the corporate world who are calling in sick because they just cannot even fathom going through the, 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 the motions of dealing and they're all parents. They're all parents with, with, with young kids and they can't process the information and show up at work. Yeah. So it's important to acknowledge that and to give you know, people the time that they need or you know, have the opportunity to be able to work remotely in a safe space if they consider that to be a safe space so they can process the emotion so they can show up and lean in a little bit more and feel more acknowledged and validated at work. Yeah, I saw um, on social media where a white male leader had posted, and this was, I really do believe it was coming from a place of honest curiosity, but the question, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was along the lines of, you know, unfortunately we live in a society where there are a lot of bad people. So every single day, a lot of bad things have the potential to happen. And while those tragedies are atrocious, life goes on 
And so his question was, as a white male leader, how are we to just, are we expected to now normalize just, you know, always um, allowing space and time because every day there could be something different. So his point was, how do we balance this? How do we balance this as leaders who really are wanting to try to make sure that we are maintaining the fact that there is work to be done, but also we want to do it in a way that is people-centered too. And um, so if, if this were your client, you're, you're someone that you um, were in communication with, what would you say to, to someone who's thinking along those lines? What, how should they be arriving to a, a conclusion around this very curious question that I suspect a lot of people are having? Right. You know, again, it goes back to leaning into to that space. I believe in, you know, in a, in a space, corporations, and there's a few that I, that I know of that I won't name here, that are giving people uh, the time to assess the situation, you know, time during the day, 45 minutes or an hour, to be able to process exactly what is going on and to go back and forth and just to have those conversations. Because I think in remaining silent compounds the stress the physical stress, the mental stress, the spiritual stress on an employee even further because they're not dealing with it. Right. And right. And these corporations are succeeding only because they've given them, okay, this is, this is the 45 minutes that we're going to have to be able to discuss X, Y, Z. And in discussing it alone, because now you're bringing it to light and you're sharing what's inside of you for so long, then it allows them to the space to feel safe. Mm -hmm. I think right now people are looking for a space to feel safe. Yeah. Right? Right. No, absolutely. So I want to shift a moment. I want to talk about what's um, what's on the horizon. You know, June is right around the corner. And, you know, we have Juneteenth and we have Pride Month. And so one of the things that I know has triggered a lot of people this week is as they've seen different brands and, you know, big box organizations to leverage what they believe is an appropriate way of celebrating and acknowledging and recognizing Juneteenth and even Pride Month, that there are some missteps that are occurring. We know the, the Walmart story with the ice cream has certainly circulated around um, social media. Um, and there are other examples as well that I can point to. What are you advising to your clients, um, Rachelle, in terms of how to combat the, the notion of avoiding this, the, you know, being perceived as performative around um, what should be a meaningful um, way to recognize and honor the individuals that these observances and these are part of these communities in which these observances are why they exist? You cut up a little bit. Um... Okay, I'm sorry. So, I didn't hear you. Okay, D did you hear any of that? Let me just repeat no. the question. Okay, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm hoping no one else is having issues. If you are, please alert us into the chat so I can be aware of it. Um, so my question was, we are, we're soon having June upon us, right? That's where a lot of recognitions of Juneteenth come from. And then it's also Pride Month. And what we're seeing right now that is causing um, even deepened level of heaviness that people are experiencing is that they're being triggered by what's perceived as performative acts of brands and corporations that are not meaningful. Um, and it is, it is creating more anxiety, more feelings of, of being unsafe and unappreciated. So how are you advising your clients around the appropriate way to recognize and to honor um, observances like Juneteenth and Pride Month? So that it really is um, done in a way that meets the satisfaction of honoring the people that are part of those communities. Right. You know, the there's there's uh, uh, someone I, I I spoke to who's who's in, who's in marketing, and it it's very interesting question because there is a, like you said it's performative. So what's going on is that they have and again this is a uh, what a fortune 500 actually it's a fortune 100 
uh, organization. And it's, it's exactly that. So their marketing tactic and budget went to, you know, brown and black people on, you know, various billboards and on social media and they felt that that was enough to be able to share and their concerns or their affinity to be able to, you know, push the DEI needle forward. And in fact, you know, on the other side, what was happening is that, you know, this particular corporation that I'm thinking of, they had, you know, very many issues that they were dealing with because they were still, you know, microaggressed, you know, they, there, were, there wasn't enough representation. Although the marketing showed differently, they were, they were actually not practicing exactly what, you know, they were marketing to the public. And I think what happens in that is that there is a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication as to what to do, because it's not about the marketing. It's how do we change policies? How are the policies and, you know, regulations are going to change within the organization? What strategies are being used? You know, is there a pre and post assessment as to, you know, where they were and where they are at? You know, have they worked with anybody in, you know, in DEI to be able to understand how it is to implement these, these, these strategies to be able to change the cultural mindset? You know, it's a cultural mindset, an organizational mindset. And it's, It's not benefiting us to be able to see this. It's actually making us very angry and uncomfortable to yeah. see, right? To see all this, like you said, performative action. What is it? That's stopping the organizations from leveling up. I think it's, there's a lot of fear in, in receiving backlash because, you know, again, it's, it's about their numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the numbers. And I think that's what is frustrating a lot of people. It is about profit over, over people. And it's creating a lot of, of um, resentment, a lot of um, feeling of unsafety. And so I want to share my screen quickly. And I know that Tracy, you have some commentary that you want to share. So I'm going to come to you next. So get prepared for that. I'll let you unmute yourself and I'll spotlight you. But I don't want to assume that everyone that is a part of today's community know exactly what we're talking about with the examples that have been brought up so far. So I want to just quickly um, share this, this community. And so here is the example of um, the Walmart miss. Um, great values is Sam Walton's brand, and it's the, the ice cream, celebration edition of Juneteenth ice cream. Um, and you can see that, you know, there was a lot of thought that went into the packaging to make sure it was connected to Juneteenth, at least from the standpoint of even the colors of what they believe would be tasteful and appropriate. But here is the latest one, y'all. This one, I really had to question if this was even real. Vaseline limited edition, equitable skincare for all, original healing jelly. What? I, so many questions. Performative. <laughs> That's what we're tired of. <laughs> That's what we're frustrated by. That's what angers us. Um, no words. No words. And so, you know, with that in mind, Tracy, I would love for you to come off mute and to share. I want to um, spotlight you. Yeah, so I'm trying. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to turn my camera on too. Thank you. Uh, so this week, I had a, we sent out a message um, about the shooting, the mass shooting. Last week, we sent out a message about the shooting. Um, and one of the things that was sort of concerning was that we weren't clear on who should be part of 
drafting the message. It was it was not a given that um, DEI should have been you know front and center. That's one thing you're always trying to interject because <laughs> it's not it's still not top of mind for everyone. Um, but the other thing is, um, I was in a call and the person, one of the people on the call said that they uh, don't, they check out of the news because it's too much and they don't have the, 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 the energy for a lot of the negative news. This person was a white male who's very um, interested and in, in involved in creating safe spaces for people. So he's a very sensitive person. But it made me think how people can just opt out, but I don't have, I don't feel like I have a choice because I have the skin and I'm going to go through these experiences over and over again. And I don't just get to opt out. Now, there are days when I don't watch the news to, to protect my own sanity, but in general, I don't get to say, oh, no, not participating. Right. And so I just wanted, and that, and that's, that brings up the question about accomplice versus ally and some of those distinctions. So I was hoping that you could talk, you could speak to that um, because that came up again this week also about allyship. Is it even really a thing? Like, does it, does it even work um, when people can just say, oh, I'm too much, it's too much right now. I can just, you know, I'm sorry, I, I was supporting you, but now like I can't, you know. So I just wanted to raise that. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Michelle, would you like to take that one? Yeah. So, you know, in when we think of allyship, it's 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 very interesting. And I think there's a, a personal story that, that, that I can share when, when I think of, of allyship. So, you know, many, 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 many times where wherever I worked, there was always a feeling of not, and again, it, goes, it always goes back to DEI, but there was a feeling of, you know, not feeling included or excluded and um, just a misunderstanding of, of who I was as a Haitian woman. And along the way, I came across the, again, in DEI and also in education, because I, I was a teacher for a very long time, that there was one principal, she was also Caribbean. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable realizing that she was offering so much support and allyship within the administration with me as an un oncoming new teacher at the time that I didn't, I didn't know what it felt like. So it made me feel uncomfortable because I thought, well, what's behind it, right? right? Mm -hmm. So the allyship for me for, her name was, was, was Ms. Andrews, was the fact that there was information always imparted to me in ways of leveling up. This is what you could do if you want to be vice principal or principal. This is at the time. And volunteering information, literally holding my hand along every process of the way. If you can't get in touch with me, you can get in touch with Mr. Andrew. If you can't get in touch with Mr. Andrew. And there was a community in, within the administration that came together and was always there to help me advance and to understand that that support was necessary to also feel included in what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what real allyship really is, is, you know, imparting the knowledge, imparting the information, offering as much support as you possibly can to to anybody that comes in that space, especially someone who has that type of position. You know, she, like, like you said, she can't, she never checked out. She didn't have the time to check out. She couldn't check out. And she was always leaning into how can we help, you know, our, our employees. And that's, I think that's something that's really, really imperative to be able to thrive 
in an organization is the allyship. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I definitely agree, Rachel. Something that Tracy mentioned as she was um, you know, presenting her question was the fact that sometimes um, allyship is also um, referred to as being an accomplice, you know, and, and I've heard that a lot myself. And, and sometimes I'll even, you know, communicate that so people will know that it is it's talking about, you know, allyship. The challenge that I personally have with the word accomplice, though, is that there's negative connotation to it. And if someone is going to sacrifice to advocate for human basic rights that everyone deserves, right. I prefer for it not to be viewed as, 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 neg as negative, right? And so I tend to like to use the word ally more so than accomplice, but, but I understand why the accomplice has entered into the conversation because we really want people to recognize that at bare minimum, it is about action. And you can't be an accomplice if you aren't putting forth some action towards the group that you are um, allying for or advocating for. So I just wanted to, to bring that to the conversation. Thank you again, Tracy, for your question. So we have about 12 minutes left and um, I wanna give any individual that's part of this community today an opportunity to also contribute to the dialogue. If something is coming up for you, even if it's just, um, going to be helpful for you to just socialize how you're processing the events that have surfaced this week. Um, would love to give you that opportunity to share. You can feel free to raise your hand um, or you can just simply unmute and I will allow you to share. Okay, and maybe while folks are thinking about um, whether or not they would like to share and what they will share. I wanna give you an opportunity, Rachel, to dig a little bit deeper into emotional intelligence because all that we've been speaking on today, emotional intelligence is really a part of the solution. We need to get people to lean into that more and um, to become much more competent around um, how in which they are navigating and understanding how people are showing up emotionally and, and how to best support them. And so you do have an ebook that's coming out. I would love for you to share with this audience a little bit about the premise of the book and um, how you think, what kind of value you think it would bring to this topic and other areas where people are needing to strengthen their um, emotional intelligence muscle. Right, thank you for, for, for talking about the book. I think, you know, the book was, um, and I'm, I'm probably going to jump a, a, a little bit. I think there was, I believe there was a process. Again, we go back to the process of, you know, emotional intelligence. It's really being able to understand one's own emotions to be able to dress, address the emotions of others. Right. And I have to use my, my daughter who didn't have words to all her emotions and her emotions were, um, you know, very, you know, there were many um, crying bouts or temper tantrums. And then once I was able to, uh, you know, give her a word to what she was feeling, then that emotion dissipated only because she had a more understanding of what was going on inside her. So when, you know, when I released the book in, in December, there were two books. So this one, is it's really, you know, to be able to create an open course where we can be filled with love and freedom. So when we think of, right? So when we think of emotional intelligence, and I said this earlier, it's a good aspect of, of leadership. We want to go back and talk about leadership because it's critical for the success of the business world, right? Emotional intelligence, happens when we, again, recognize and deal with emotions within ourselves and others. So when you think of human resources, let's say, you know, human resources managers, irrespective of their, you know, academic competencies, mm. I think it's an essential trait for all employees to have to build that empathy muscle. Right. And right. So when you think, you know, it's, it, it contributes this, again, we talk about that myth, how it contributes to you know, not being successful or having a workplace that is 
toxic. When we talk about toxicity, that's really what it is. So, you know, when employers and business owners and managers start hearing about the emotional intelligence muscle, yes, it's effective for organizations because it once it resonates with you, then it's, it's going to resonate with your employees to have that truth that needs to be art articulated. You know, it's like grieving. People need that space to be able to grieve where it's, even if it's a day or a minute to process the information. And once you know that it's, you know, it's important to hold that, mm -hmm. you know, for positive change, then people won't feel stuck. And you're not feeling stuck at work, but you're feeling stuck emotionally. And if we can't, right? So if we can't show up, again, we talk about, you know, and again, on my podcast, we talk about the same thing. You show up, it's a safe space where we can, can communicate and, and lean in. And like we're doing today, I had to lean in. This morning I was teary because I had to lean into my emotions, yeah. you know, to be yeah. able to understand it. And that's how we become more effective in the workplace and in our personal lives. And would you say, Rachelle, that one way to build up your competency around um, emotional intelligence is to first and foremost be attuned to your self-awareness, your own emotions, right? Absolutely. And to, and to be able to regulate that self-awareness in various situations, which mm -hmm. is a whole other muscle in and of itself, mm -hmm. because it takes a lot of inner work to be able to process what what really is going on in, in, inside you. But I believe it's, you know, it regulates people to produce healthy responses, which, which comes to self-management. That's how, you, however you're going to respond is because you already know what process you're going through. Right. So you're no longer reactive, yeah. right? So in the chat, we have shared your emotional intelligence ebook, a toolkit for managing DEI. And so I hope that this community will certainly take advantage of that resource. I want to dig a little bit deeper just in the few moments we have remaining, um, because, you know, again, we have centered the importance of emotional intelligence. And you've, you know, we just spoke to one um, strategy, which is self-management, self-awareness. What are some other tips that you can leave this audience with if they are really um, identifying that this is something they want to grow and increase um, their competency in? What are some tips that they can um, put into their practice? You know, like you said, we talked about, you know, self-regulation. We talk about empathy and self-awareness, motivation, social skills. You know, I believe, you know, when we talk about social skills, again, it's another muscle but, you know, I'll give you a, a brief scenario. You know, you're in a board meeting, you know, it doesn't seem to be going well because people like you aren't with, you know, don't have, aren't on, on board with, with any of the ideas. Mm -hmm. So your higher emotional intelligence would be to make good eye contact and ask open-ended questions, right? Like you do, you ask open-ended questions and you also proactively practice active listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. I think that's something we don't do enough of because we're so concerned with all the other questions we have for the other person that we're not actually listening. And listening doesn't just mean being present. Listening means your brain is empty and you're processing what the other person is telling you. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, a, um, a counselor told me this. He was, he said, so... It, he, he's phenomenal in, in every which way. And I think what, what, what the main takeaway was, you know, have a conversation with somebody and verbatim in 10 seconds, repeat what they have said. Mm. He's a therapist actually. And once you have done that, you've already built empathy with the other person because you repeated what they've said. And then you give them the space to say, let's say a highlight of their day in 10 sec 30 seconds or less, they repeat what you have said and then the connection happens and then the empathy happens. Because what we've actually done was listened, you've repeated verbatim what the person said, vice versa, you've created that, correct, that connection as well. And then that leaves the space for com more communication and less misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. 
I love that, Rachelle. Really, really rich. I want to share two comments that um, are in the chat right now because I want you to get the benefit of knowing the value that you've brought to this community today. One is from Ralph Johnson, and thank you for your comments, Ralph. But he says it was helpful to hear Rachelle's question that she posed to herself in her initial sharing. Do I choose to stay in the space of sadness and despair? Or do I choose to act? I agree, Ralph, that was really impactful. That thought helps move me from the incapacitation that sadness can bring and back to active engagement on work that impacts attitudes and behaviors. Thank you for the conversation, it's just what I needed. So thank you, Ralph, for joining us. And then Bianca Mays shared, this is so helpful for me. I think a part of me has to let my empathy go in order to build resiliency to what's happening, the constant violence and the need to perform at work. I'm interested in re-sparking my empathetic side. I would say that those are, based on those comments, these are really big wins for the time that we've spent together today. So thank you for powering through and um, you know, very, very much sharing your thoughts as you were processing. Um, this community stands with you. We send you love and light. Your work is important. We see you, we hear you, we value you. And I just wanna thank you for saying yes to our invitation. So I would love to give you the final you know, two minutes to close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. But Rachel, what would you like to leave this audience with today? You know, I, like, like we talked about, I think it's really important to it's interesting what Bianca said you know we want to build resilience to be able to handle all these yeah. obstacles that are coming to us because then we feel like we're we'll be stuck you know like he was saying earlier you don't want to be stuck in the sadness and despair and you want to be able to do something proactive mm -hmm. and I really think the you know starting with our families and our friends in building those empathetic skills so that we can bring to the workplace so we have a more human connection yeah. I think we need to be more humanly connected. And my mom always said, you know, when she left Haiti, she said she, she, I never understood, you know, the neighbor not talking to the neighbor or the neighbor not introducing the neighbor because the door was always unlocked and people were coming in and out and sharing food and bringing sugar and flour. And, you know, they were just part of a global community sharing and loving each other. And I think that's what we need to go to go back to. We need to be human centered and people centered and understand that we all come from that space and we all come with our emotions and, and you know, to be able to, to make more meanif meaningful connections. No, I love that. A beautiful visual I know was painted for me as you were sharing those thoughts. And so I'm gonna let that carry me through this day, even in the midst of the heaviness. But thank you so much again, Rachel. And thank you to all of you who've joined us today. If you found this valuable, then be sure to alert those in your community to catch the replay. We'll see you all next week. Have a wonderful holiday weekend with great rest, rest. Thank you.